All righty. Today, now, we've been, we've been going through Mark, and we've gotten Jesus to the crucifixion last week. So I want to talk a little bit today about, about that crucifixion, what went on on that cross, because that is what the Christmas story is about. The birth of Jesus is about his crucifixion. He came to die for us. He came to live, and we'll talk about some of those things as we go along. Now, I cannot cover everything, but there are some important things that I want to bring out, so we're going to, to work on that. And looking at when God took the form of man to accomplish what could be accomplished by no other means, which is our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and look into your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that speaks to us. And we pray that as we continue, that you would speak to us. That not, not just so that we would know more, but so that we would know you better. So that we would know, glorify you more intelligently as well as, as from our, our emotions and from our heart. Lord, we just pray for your glory. And we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's talk about who God is because that's where everything starts. Who is God and, and what is God like? And so a few characteristics of God is... I'm going to need to cough. A few characteristics of God. First, I think the one that, that stands out most to us is that He is holy. He is like no other. He, uh, Habakkuk says that, that he, does, he's not, he takes no pleasure in wickedness. You know, now we are, uh, at our best, we, uh, we, we try to be holy, we try to be like, like God, we, we want to be good folks, but every once in a while you have to admit that you may take a little pleasure in wickedness, you know? When you see somebody get what's coming to them, that makes you feel, all right, ah. well God does not like that. God does not take pleasure in, in the death of the wicked. So God does not does not take pleasure in any kind of wickedness. In First John, it says that that He is light, and in Him there is no darkness. And anybody who's going to to have fellowship with Him is going to have to have fellowship with light, not walk in darkness. So He's holy. He is invisible. In in Colossians, it says that Jesus was the the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. And Jesus said that, that no one, had, no man has seen God at any time. And he also said that God is spirit. So God is invisible. All right? So now, holy, invisible. He is all-powerful. He has, he has all power. Everything that, that, is, that was created was created by God. We're going to narrow that down a little bit. But everything that was created is created by God. Everything that keeps going is held together by God. He is all-knowing. He knows your heart. He knows your prayers before you pray them. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows what's going on. He knows what's coming. He knows what's in the past because with him there is no coming and going or past or present. He is eternally in the present. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is ever-present. He's everywhere. Where can you go and get away from God? If I go all the way to, to, to the heavens, he's there. If I go to the depths of the sea, he's there. If I descend into hell, he is there. God is everywhere. So hell, you, you got, this is something you may not have thought of. Hell isn't, isn't the absence of 
isn't separation from God. The problem is he's there, but you can't get to him. So he is everywhere. He is eternal. In the beginning, God. And that's just language because he's actually before the beginning. We just can't, can't express that. So he is everywhere, he is all-knowing, he is ever-present, he is eternal, he is sovereign. He says in, in Isaiah 46, I am God and there is none other, there is none like me. In Hebrews 11 it says he is the one who, or who knows the mind of God and who has been his counselor and the answer assumed is none of us, no one, because God doesn't need a counselor he is sovereign. He has his own mind. What he thinks is right. And he thinks what is right. And God is worthy of worship. Now, Jesus said, since God is spirit, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. We must worship him. And in Matthew 4, he said that you must worship the the Lord God and Him only. So He is to be worshipped. There are plenty of other verses that back all those things up. Those are just some to, to get us going. God is holy, invisible, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal, sovereign, worthy of worship, and more. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, what the, the, the baby that was born in the manger on that that day, that evening, when, when Mary and Joseph had gone to Bethlehem for a census, God had already told both of them and others that, that the baby that was going to be born would be Emmanuel, God with us. Born of a woman. So Jesus is man and he is fully man. Now we're going to do some math here that's not going to work. Okay? But he is 100% man. He is born of woman. In particular, he is born of a virgin, a woman who has never known a man. The, the father of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived. Now that being the case, he being born of a virgin, that makes him fulfill the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 where it says the seed of the woman will, will provide salvation. He is being born of a woman and his father being the Holy Spirit and being man. He's born in, in flesh. That allows him to unite God and humanity in, even in his humanity, he is God and human. But being born of the woman and not of a, having an earthly father... That allowed him to be born in flesh, but without sin. The Bible teaches us that sin comes, or human, humans inherit the sin nature from the first father, who was Adam. And Christ did not descend from Adam. Okay? His father was the Holy Spirit. So he did not have in his flesh that sin nature. Now, he did have, being a 100% man, he had some human frailties. He, for one thing, he was born like you were born. You might have been born in, in a little cleaner, neater atmosphere, but he was born, just passed through the birth canal just like you did. 
He grew like, like we did. We grew. Uh, in Luke 2, it says that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he, he grew up. He, he, as a human, he got hungry. He got thirsty. He, he was physically weak. After he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, he was, he was thirsty, he was hungry, he was weakened in, in his body, just like a human, because he was human. Matter of fact, the ultimate display of his humanity was that he lost his human life. He died, human, his human body died. He had a mind like you and I have, he thought, he obeyed his parents, he increased in, in wisdom. He grew in, in his thinking. Uh, there were times that, that in his humanity, there were things he did not know. For one thing he said of that day, when, when, when Christ will come again, or when all these things will happen, he said, no one knows, not even the Son of Man. That was himself. Not okay. So he had a mind that was, that was limited in, in what he could understand in his humanity. He had emotions. He felt sorrow. He wept at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem. He, he wept, Hebrews tells us, over other things. And he marveled. You ever think about that? That God in the flesh, there were times when it says he marveled. Matter of fact, it wasn't a centurion. He marveled at his faith. I mean, this is God saying, oh, wow. So he's human, and people saw his humanity. In fact, a lot of people were convinced that he was nothing more than human. He was human, he was man, he was 100% man, yet without sin. We have a high priest. We don't have a high priest who could not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet Without sin, Hebrews 4.15. So we have a high priest who felt temptation like we feel temptation. The difference between him and us is that he never succumbed to temptation. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about him being God. And, and it, when, you, when you really hash this thing out, you get to the understanding that Jesus actually could not sin because of his, his, his deity being connected to his humanity and God cannot sin. We'll work on that in a minute. And so some people say, well, then was he really tempted? Can you really call yourself tempted if you cannot sin? Can he really identify with you and with me who are tempted and who know plenty about succumbing to temptation and failing in our holiness? Well, here's a picture. Have you ever seen weightlifting competition? Like in the Olympics or something like that? You know, where they... Well, they do the, the all kinds of, of weightlifting, deadlift, and, and clean and jerk, and all those. They, they pick up these enormous amount of weights. And in the Olympics or in any weightlifting competition, there's only one winner. You know who the winner is? He is the one who lifts the heaviest weight. You know who the losers are? Everybody else who tried to lift that much and couldn't do it. Let me ask you this. 
Who knows the most about that weight? The one who lifted it. And so though Jesus never succumbed to temptation, though he never sinned, he was tempted in all points, all categories, like you and I are tempted. And he knows what it's like because he lifted the full weight. He won the victory over temptation, having been tempted but not losing, okay? So he understands our temptation. Even though he did not sin, could not sin. And even though he, 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 he could not sin, he, he went beyond that because in his humanness, in his mind, in his human will, he was obedient to the Father. Matter of fact, he said that, that what fed him, his food was, his meat was to do the will of the Father. What he said is what he heard from the Father. So he showed obedience to God, even being 100% man, he was 100% obedient. You still with me? Stay with me now. So as, as, as having shown obedience, he is also our example to show that obedience is doable. 100% man yet without sin, tempted, not giving in, obedient to the Father, which is an example for us. He had to be human to accomplish what he accomplished because he had to be. What we needed was a sacrifice to cover all our sin for all eternity, the sin of all who would come to him. And to do that, we needed a sacrifice. There had been lambs and goats and, and cattle offered, and they never paid for the sin of those who offered them. We needed a perfect sacrifice who was like us, a man, a human. And so Jesus, being human, allowed him to be that perfect sacrifice. Also, because he was human, he can be our mediator. Now, if somebody is, if there's a controversy between management and, uh, and employees... Who do you want in the mediation? You want people who are from, who are from the, the working class, right? And so Jesus, in our case, he, he is from our class. He understands what we're going through, so he represents us well. That makes him the perfect mediator between humanity and God. And... Since he has lived where we live, since he has been tempted like we have been tempted, yet without sin, which means he, he knows more, he's, his, his, his perspective is not clouded by sin, it makes him that good mediator, but it also makes him a sympathetic high priest. Makes him a high priest who represents us before God and makes intercession for us continually to the Father from the perspective of we are. He understands what we're going through. Now, there's one more thing that I think is really amazing, is that he took on human flesh, and he never 
let go of it. Got that? You know what Jesus is wearing right now? A human body. Is that amazing? He is God, but he is still has a human body with the scars that he received while he was among us and while, when he gave himself for us. So he is man fully. He is also God fully. Now, okay, I know that doesn't add up, you mathematicians. Lay your math aside. Engineers, forget that you are an engineer. Because there's no way we can make this add up in our humanity, in our system. But Jesus is fully God. The scripture in Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, in the form of God, he was God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Okay, it does not say that he quit being God. It does not say that he laid aside anything of his godness, of his deity. But he added to that the form of a servant. He, he made himself obedient. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So he is God. He is man in his godness, in his deity. How, how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us that. And, and some of the ways that it tells us is that the, the, the name of God, or the word that's translated God, Theos in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is used speaking of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Word, was Theos, he was God. In Romans 9, it tells us that. I, all these are in your notes, and I'm, so we're not going to flip over to all them, but, but I, I want you to see that the Bible uses the name of God, the word for God, in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. Let's, let's do look at Isaiah 9, 6, so we just get a little Old Testament reference as well as the New Isaiah 9, 6. It's Christmas time. Your Bible should fall open to this. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, the name of Jesus will be called the baby born in the manger will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Theos. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus, you can't be part God, so he's got to be 100% God. If God was, was only part God, he wouldn't be God, right? So if Jesus is going to be God, he's got to be 100% as well as 100% man. 
If he's not 100% man, he's not going to be a suitable sacrifice. He's not going to be an understanding, sympathetic high priest. So he is 100% man. He's also 100% God. The Bible calls him God. The Bible also calls him Lord. Kurios. Speaking of, of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew 22, he calls him the Lord. Okay? Now there's some other things. Not only does the Bible speak of Jesus and use the names of God referring to Jesus, Jesus called himself God. Somebody challenged him. He, they said, you're not even as old as we are, but you're, you're talking about being before, a, before Abraham. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, remember what he said? I am. Oh, that was blasphemous if it were not true, but it was true. He said in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved the world, he gave his son. The son's going to be God. Jesus is, is also the one who loved the world. He claims to be deity. He claims that he can give eternal life. Go to that familiar verse in John, John three sixteen. Or you can listen as I read it, because I'm there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son... That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know what he says there? He says that, that he is the one who gives eternal life. That's got to be God. Who else can give eternal life? So he, he's timeless. He was before Abraham. He... He existed before he came into the world, before the foundation of the world. He's the creator and heir of the world. Hebrews 1. Just start at the beginning. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son, whom he appointed their heir, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. That's the English word hypostasis, which is the essence of God. And he upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So, theologically, Jesus it has the essence of God. God being a Godhead, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son has the essence of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has a, the essence of the Father and of Jesus. The Father has the essence of the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. They are one essence, one God, three persons. That's a whole other sermon, but we'll work on that sometime. And so that being the case, since he has the essence of God, he is a, the image of, of God, perfectly displaying the, the nature of God, that makes him omnipotent. He calmed storms. Remember? 
out on the lake. He, he spoke to the wa- wind and the waves and everything calmed down. And his disciples who had been with him and watching him said, But what kind of man is this? He's the kind of man that's God. Who but God could do this? He is omnipotent. He can turn water into wine instantly. He can feed thousands with just a few fish and loaves, multiplying them and stretching them and blessing them. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. Remember Nathaniel who was under a fig tree and Jesus called him to himself and Nathaniel, you know, was talking to him and he said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Nathaniel was impressed with that because he, Jesus, Jesus wasn't with sight range, but Jesus knew where he was because Jesus is omniscient. He knew men's hearts before they spoke and revealed them to the men around them. He knew who would betray him. Though Judas never confessed it, no one around him suspected him. He is omnipresent. Now, that doesn't show up between the, uh, the manger and the cross. But he did say, while he walked on earth, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so now we know that wherever folks are gathered in his name to do his purpose, he is there in the, he is wherever. Um, it can be not just two guys over here or three guys over here and, and three over there. He's everywhere, wherever people are gathered in his name to do his business. And he did say before his ascension that, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So wherever I am, whatever I am doing, because I am His, He is always with me. And I wish the Spirit would speak that to me all the time. Because sometimes I get to thinking He's not watching, but He is omnipresent. He is immortal. Even as a human, He, he said that, that you, you, you tear down this temple and I'll build it back up in three days, on the third day. I'll raise it back up. He said, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down and no one takes it away from me, John 10. He is worthy of worship. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. He's worthy of worship. Here in Hebrews it says, and again... When he brings forth the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. That's what the Father said about the Son. That only God is worthy of worship and Jesus is, is, is worthy of worship. Matter of fact, we're commanded to worship him. He is sovereign. Instead of teaching in, like the prophets where they said, thus saith the Lord, he just said, I say, because what I say is, is truth. It goes. In Matthew 11, he said, Matthew eleven twenty seven, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. How much is all? What's left after all is given? Get nothing, man. That's everything. He is, he has all power. He is sovereign. He is worthy of worship. He's immortal. He's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and any other omnis that you can think of. So, 
He's fully man. He's fully God. Why would God do that? Because Jesus bore the sin of all mankind for all time. And who could do that except God? And so God had to be born, had to be flesh and blood to be the sacrifice. He had to be God to be able to bear the sin that he was bearing to pay for our sin so that he could save man. Who can save man? Jonah 2.9 of all places says, salvation is from the Lord. He had to be the Lord to save us. So he had to be God to bear our sin. He had to be God to save us. He has to be God to mediate us. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. So he's the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute. He understands our sin having lived as a man, but he's a perfect mediator because he he works the other side too. The question in, in the title of the sermon is who died on the cross. Well, we know that God cannot die. That just doesn't make that if he if he can die, he's not God. But we also know that it, that God had to be God. Jesus had to be God in order to bear our sins. Well, we know that we're saved by the blood. And God doesn't have any blood. God's not flesh and bone. He doesn't have blood like a man. But that's why I want Acts 20, verse 28 read, and Martha quit just a little bit early. There it says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now now watch this, y'all. Second part of verse 28. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Who? The antecedent to he is God. So you could read it like this. Care for the church of God, which God obtained by God's own blood. How can God shed his blood when he's not flesh and blood? Because the invisible God, remember that's where we started out, became visible in Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians, he is the wholeness, the display of the invisible God. He is 100% sold out to God, and that makes him belonging to God. Therefore, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was God's blood. So the question, it shouldn't have been who, who was crucified. Jesus, the Son, was crucified. But who, who satisfied the requirement for the blood, with the blood? And that was God. It's by His blood, the blood of God, that the church, that's you and I who belong to Christ, have been bought.
So the invisible God in Jesus Christ became visible, even grotesquely. So you think of what you're looking at Jesus, who is God in the flesh, when he's been beaten, when he's been so abused that he cannot carry the cross up to Calvary. The invisible God becomes visible. The God who has no flesh and blood sacrifices his blood the one who cannot be, cannot sin, God the Father, who cannot even look on evil, becomes sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now those may be some heavy things to think about and chew on. You've got the notes. You can work on that for the next few days if you want to, or the rest of your life. But the reason I wanted to point this out was to show the length to which God went to provide for the salvation of you and for me and for all those since the beginning who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. How much does God love you? What would God do to see you come to him, to fellowship with him, to be one with him? He would take on flesh. He would become, he would humble himself to be visible. He would be obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross. All that was going on on the cross in those few hours that Jesus hung there. All that is still going on, still in effect today. If you are here this morning and you have yet to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to admit that your sin... Well, maybe you've just been ignorant and you haven't overlooked these things, but now I hope I have enlightened you. I hope that the Holy Spirit has enlightened you. And from this point on, you are more accountable than you were before. If you didn't know, now you know. And so I invite you to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Pray in your heart, speaking to him. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Although you're not going to have a perfect understanding. Nobody does in this world. But given what you know, what you understand, understanding your sin, understand the holiness of God, understanding the length that he went to to provide for your salvation, you pray something like this, Lord, I confess that I am a sinner. I agree with you. That's what the word confess means. I agree with you that I am a sinner. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and the one who paid the full penalty for my sin. And I accept that and I want to participate in that. And I want to be obedient like he was. And I want to be born again. That's what he said in, in John chapter 3. You must be born again. You've got to be changed from the inside. And I want to live for you. Save me. And I confess, I believe that you will and you have saved me because I put my trust in you and you gave me the faith to do it. So I give you the glory this morning.